Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Weaver, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, and Arvigo abdominal massage. And I'm also a new mama. This podcast will be part information on women's holistic health practices that I use in my practice, and part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you in part by the Rosebud Wellness Shop. You can find us over at rosebudwellness.com shop. On the shop, you'll find six different Yoni Steam herb blends for a variety of different conditions. You can read specifically about all of the ingredients that are in the herbal blends, what you would use them for, and some specifics about the days of your cycle that you would use the herbs. There's also a video for an at-home steaming guide so that you can feel confident that you know what you're doing before you embark on this journey. But if you also don't feel so comfortable just starting on your own, you can also sign up for a consult with me, which is also available at the shop. So go ahead and check out rosebudwellness.com shop. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to bring another interview podcast to you today. Um, in this episode, I am interviewing my friend and colleague. She is also an acupuncturist and herbalist, and her name is Anne Cleary, and she is the owner and operator of Anne Cleary Acupuncture, and at the end of the episode and in the show notes, you will be able to find a link to her website and then also to her Instagram uh, page if you want to learn more about her. She practices uh, in the Los Angeles area and focuses on chronic diseases, gynecological conditions, and also um, works a lot with oncology care. And she is also a mother to a four-year-old daughter. And so she is really, it was really interesting to check in with her because she was pregnant um, during acupuncture school. And having been through acupuncture school myself, I just can't imagine having a new baby um, before graduating. So it was just um, kind of a trip to talk to her about that. So please enjoy this episode with Anne. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. I am very excited to be here today with Anne Cleary, who is also an acupuncturist. And we met um, when she was just at the end of her training at uh, the same school that I went to, Emperor's College in Santa Monica. So she is a mother to a four-year-old daughter. And so we will be going through today her history of periods, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and her experience of motherhood so far, and also being a business owner. So welcome, Anne. And um, first question, well, I already gave it away that your daughter's four um, <laughs> and she's your only daughter. Um, so mm-hmm. maybe if you can talk first, I, this is a, a question that I had been wanting to ask, but I haven't asked it of all of the people that I've interviewed so far, but are you somebody that always knew they wanted to be a mother or was it something that kind of came later in life? I always knew when I was a little girl, I thought that I was going to 
be a farmer and have lots of kids. And um, I'm the oldest of four. So I don't know if that's part of the reason why, but I always wanted to have kids. But then I wasn't sure if that would happen. I had my daughter just shy of 41. I was still 40, but I had her a month before my birthday. Um, and I met her dad, you know, a couple years before. So I'd been in relationships before long-term and not long-term, but none of them seemed like a partnership to have a kid with. And then, you know, you can't really will love to happen. So I felt very lucky. And you also can't will a pregnancy to happen. So yeah, I felt very fortunate. I kind of slid in at the finish line. Yeah. So um, I want to talk a little bit about your periods to start. If you had any sort of symptoms or irregularities, anything of note, um, and then also maybe you can kind of bring that into your fertility journey if there was any struggle in getting pregnant or was that something that kind of happened organically or any sort of like treatments that you did to assist in that process? Mm -hmm. I think it's great that you're asking women about their periods because it's so good to hear about what happens out there because once you, I mean, you and I both are in the position of asking women all the time about their periods and you realize that a lot of people are suffering and you know, we also know because we treat it that it doesn't have to be. So I wish I'd known that when I got my period the first time, the first like early in puberty and adulthood, um, I got mine kind of late. I think I was 15 and, uh, you know, I was very matter of fact. I just mentioned to my mom who happened to walk into the bathroom while I was in there, I need a pad. And she's like, okay. And then that was our conversation about it. And, um, my dad later was driving me into town and he's like, you know, I heard you got your period and he tried to have like a very earnest kind of congratulations talk with me, which felt very uncomfortable, but I appreciate it. It was sweet. Um, but my very first period ended up being very painful and I didn't know what was happening. I was at the beach. Uh, I grew up in, in, uh, in Delaware, which has like, a, I lived an hour from the beach. And so I'd gone there with my friend, my best friend from high school and her mom. And it was winter time. So it's cold and damp. And all of a sudden I just started to feel awful. Like I didn't know why, but intense pain. Um, I remember ducking into like a Dunkin' Donuts bathroom to just kind of be in the stall alone and be able to make faces to, you know, I was trying to act normal as, as I was walking around. And I told my friend's mom and she's like, oh, that's, you know, you have cramps. And she gave me some Advil and it helped. So from the beginning, I had painful periods, but it wasn't every period. Um, I was listening to one of your other podcasts and the woman you were interviewing was talking about missing school. So I'm not sure how I, I didn't miss school because I don't remember that ever happening. But I do remember, you know, lying in bed with a heating pad and I knew the exact dose to, of ibuprofen to take and exactly when to take it to nip things in the bud. And if for some reason I couldn't access it in time, then it would be, you know, a big deal for the rest of the day. And I think mostly that improved over the years, but even into my thirties, uh, I would occasionally have a really bad period. So. And were there any 
things that you did in particular to to treat that or did you kind of just use um ibuprofen most of the time in the heating yeah three ibuprofen uh a really hot bath could help a lot and then time just letting it pass yeah but I remember thinking this must be kind of what childhood is like because as the the pain recedes you can feel how it comes in waves and that it's contractions and I don't know if it did in the end but it's like well I can do this you know labor probably isn't so bad yeah so did you did you have any difficulty in getting pregnant or Maybe, I don't know. We got pregnant in six months, so that's not difficult. But I was also, I didn't expect difficulty because, you know, I was still in the throes of my Chinese medical education and I have a lot of confidence in our medicine and I'd been getting treated regularly, you know, because we have that student clinic there. And I think all students are, you know, you spend time with one supervisor getting their treatments to learn and then you try another one. So you know, it's getting treated very regularly. Um, we had actually gone to Taiwan for the summer and um, I started writing my own formulas and getting them filled because there you can take it in and, and have them fill it for you and they'll cook it for you. And so we'd been there for a month and then I had a late period and I was pregnant. So I don't know if it was having the cooked herbs or just being on vacation or yeah so. so how so how long were you getting you were getting weekly acupuncture treatments I assume yeah I don't remember not in Taiwan I wasn't getting treated but um but I at mean, I was, yeah I think yeah. through most of the program I was getting weekly acupuncture treatments and then did they also prescribe you Chinese herbs but they prescribed them in the powder form I had tried both because I had gotten treated by all different professors. So yeah, I had done raw and granular. Yeah. And now that I'm practicing, um, I don't know that there, that the difference between raw and granular is so important. I think it's just the most important thing is having an accurate diagnosis. So yeah, I use mostly granular in my practice and it works. Yeah. And so you think that that mostly it was being on vacation and kind of being a little bit more relaxed potentially. And then having but, also this background of having been getting treated consistently. Yes, I think yeah. it was the background of having been primed in kind of an effortless way without a goal. Because I think sometimes when you're, when you're trying to get pregnant, it's uh, this funny game of doing what you can to promote your health and then also forgetting that you're trying to do this thing so that you don't become so goal oriented. It's a very mysterious yin hidden process and it kind of has to unfold on its own time. And I think the more directed it becomes, the harder it is for it to happen. So we've been, we had hoped to have a second child. So I've been on all sides of it where I was trying to get pregnant and it worked and I've been trying to get pregnant and it didn't work. So I think that's been really useful information for when I'm treating women that are trying to get pregnant because I understand all the mind games kind of that you have to play with yourself or you know how how you have to 
try and then also give up trying and so it's a funny balance how so did you feel pretty well prepared in terms of like knowing when your fertile window was oh yeah taking your temperature tracking cervical mucus I did bbt charts um I did them a little sort of shoddily at first but then I got really interested in them um, I was also studying Jane Littleton very closely and she works a lot with, I mean, and other uh, Chinese medical gynecologists worked closely with BBT charts. Um, so then I got really into the data of it and became more regular with it, but I only did it all told, I think less than six months. Um, and I've always had the egg white cervical mucus and was familiar with that and my cycle fortunately has always been very regular. So that part was easy to know. Yeah. And over time, as you were getting acupuncture treatments, did the pain lessen or completely go away? I think by the time I was in acupuncture school, I was in my late thirties and it had already, it was very infrequent. It was something that happened very infrequently. Um, I remember I did have one severe episode during school and I don't remember enough about what was happening in my life to kind of hypothesize about why that happened then, but it was out of the blue and hadn't happened in a long time. Yeah. Um, so if, if you want to talk about now your fertility journey now and how, if, there's anything that's changed with your body that you can kind of understand um, maybe why you're not getting pregnant as easily, or if you're mm -hmm. kind of still in the, like, I'm, we're still kind of trying to figure that out phase. That's okay. But I just wanted to leave. Oh, no, that. I think, I mean, the, the gift of like being in the field also gives such a lens. Um, I mean, I think I'm just, my, my body carried a child at a later age um, and my period never came back as fully. And it was already fairly light to begin with when I got pregnant the, the first time. Um, so I think I'm just not making enough blood to carry a child. Um, I feel like there's something else that I thought about that I'm not remembering now, but I mean, that's, that's the primary, I think that's the primary culprit, the quality of my blood. And you, you still have regular periods. You still have the egg white cervical mucus. Mm -hmm. Are you tracking BBT at this time or using, no. using yeah. LH strips or anything? I got those. And then I just was very inconsistent with them. And I gave them to a friend who was trying. Yeah. Or no, actually what happened was I was very inconsistent with them. And then I got pregnant and in a moment of glee, I gave them to a friend and then that pregnancy didn't stick. Um, but I also, I never got them again because I wasn't very consistent with them. And, and I don't think the issue is, um, one of timing for us. It's just the environment in the uterus. Yeah. yeah. I'm really sorry to hear that. That's okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so if you want to talk about your pregnancy, um, anything of note, any symptoms that you had, um, anything that you found helpful in terms of like advice people gave you or things people said, treatments that you had, um, or was it pretty um, easy and comfortable? 
Yeah, I think the thing that surprised me most about pregnancy is how like every day this mind-blowing event can is when you're living it. You know, you're like growing a person inside of you that if you think about it can become very trippy and psychedelic, but then the day-to-day was pretty straightforward. I didn't have you know, I barely had any morning sickness. I only noticed it kind of when it ended and that I had increased appetite. Um, and I felt good. I felt mobile. It was easy. Um, there was a period around, I think five months in when I was walking up a hill and like, I had to keep stopping and take a breath. And I told at the time I was like, wow, if I can't walk up a hill, you know, how am I going to push a baby out? And I was telling my midwives about this and they're like, let's check your blood. And so they pricked my finger and they looked through this little lens they have. They're like, oh, actually, you're really anemic. And I'm like, of course, I'm really anemic. Like, I asked people these questions at work and I didn't see it myself. You know, I was getting dizzy if I sit up too quickly, like floaters, ex- feeling exhausted. So um, I made this chicken liver recipe of my mom's where you cook chicken liver with bacon and sour cream and onions. And it's delicious. If you're anemic, it's extra delicious. If you're not, maybe it you don't crave it so much. So I made that and got some salmon and was having salmon salad and nettle tea and Floridix, the you know, plant-based um, iron supplement. And I think that was it. And then I felt better. And so my next appointment was in two weeks and I was like, check my blood. I think it's better. And they're like, oh, it doesn't change that fast. I was like, just check it. And it had gone up two points. So I was very proud of myself. Yeah. And that was enough to fix it. I stayed on the Floridix and, you know, I was fine the rest of my pregnancy. Um, Yeah, I took that during pregnancy too. And they Mm -hmm. actually recommended that I take a lot more than the recommended dose for as a pregnancy. Yeah, I think I took double dose. Yeah. Yeah. Is that that what you did? Really interesting. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. what's cool about Floridix, this is not like a plug for it or anything, but a lot of iron supplements can be really constipating, but that one isn't at all. It's, mm-hmm. experienced that it's pretty comfortable to take and it tastes kind of good. It tastes like juice, but maybe yeah. it's the same kind of thing. Like if you need it, you right. it tastes good. Right. Um, so you I were did, work- Sorry, I did sleep. No, I just remembered because you were asking about my pregnancy. I slept, I felt but except for that period, I felt fine. Like if I was walking around and someone asked me, how do you feel? Do you have good energy? I would think, yes, I do. But I slept through almost all of my classes um, <laughs> during my pregnancy. And I felt a little embarrassed in the beginning because, you know, the teachers didn't necessarily know why I was sleeping so much because I didn't have a belly yet. But I think that was the only other symptom that I really noticed. Yeah, I... um. I used to take naps in my, on my treatment table at my office during the first trimester. Cause it's so hard because no one can tell that you're pregnant and can't, you don't really tell anybody Yeah, uh, depending on your comfort level. And then, but you're just so exhausted. Mm. Um, yeah. So what was it like being pregnant during acupuncture school? Um, did people yeah. seem understanding or was there anything of note I mean, I think that was a pretty good time to be pregnant because you're not beholden to a nine to five, you know, you have 
I don't know. I don't remember that I changed my schedule, but I could have changed my schedule and made it later each semester if I wanted to. Yeah, I feel like it was uneventful. Except, you know, the fun of being pregnant. Right. Yeah. 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 And I didn't want to get needled initially, like, you know, the in early stages, you know, in classes, I was studying very closely with Jaehoon Kim and it was very practical. Like we were training on each other all the time. And so I didn't want to do that in the beginning until things were more certain. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, we talk about pregnancy so much in school that I'm sure they were respectful of that. Oh, of course. That. Yeah. 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 Um, so maybe you can talk about the birth. It, you mentioned that you had a midwife. So I don't know if you did the hospital or birth center or what your specific setup was like, but if you want to share about about what your birth plan was and if you felt seen and heard by the practitioners you worked with, like who was on your team, if you had a doula Mm -hmm. or anything like that, or your Mm -hmm. partner, of course. Well, years ago, my sister asked me to come and be there at her first birth, which I was thrilled to do. And she gave me this reading list, which was a spiritual midwifery by Ina May and the Bradley Method and maybe something else, but I think those were the two primary ones. So those were both a real education for me because I didn't know about the stages of labor, which you know you learn a lot about in the, when you read the Bradley Method book, which is written in the 70s. So it's, um, it's also entertaining to read because it's a little bit of a time capsule, like the illustrations and then the way they talk about partnership. You can see that it's like the early days of this idea of like more equal partnership. Um, <clears throat> And spiritual midwifery too is a time capsule because Ina May was, you know, a real hippie. Like they drove their van from, I think, Berkeley down to the Southeast and she's living on this commune. And, and that's just, I'm sure you've read it, but maybe if listeners haven't, it's just women's birth stories one after another. And they never say it hurts. They always say, then it got really psychedelic. <laughs> um So, and then I was there at my sister's birth and she ended up having a non-emergency transfer after laboring for three days and had um, a really amazing midwife who, you know, this was so interesting work. I'd know to, to witness, I had no idea it could be so political. She was in Atlanta at the time and her midwife, once we were in the hospital, had to pretend to be an older friend. And they even fudged a little bit about like how long she had been laboring and stuff because they knew she was healthy. She just needed fluids and an epidural so she could rest. And then maybe, I don't, I can't remember if she ended up getting Pitocin or if it's just the epidural so she could rest Um, because she was losing energy basically. And she hadn't been able to keep fluids down, Um, but they didn't want them to rush her into a C-section. So on the inside, she was just like a quiet, friendly, older friend, counselor lady. Um, So I learned so much about birthing and like the wide variety, like the whole spectrum of the kinds of births that we can access in America, just from that. Um, And I knew that I would probably prefer home birth because home seems cozier to me. I think it's really different for everybody. I think some people just feel more comfortable and safer in a hospital. And I feel like it's cold in there and I don't, I never like the food. So I knew I wanted a home birth and that was our plan. And, you know, 
I also was trying to prepare mentally for it possibly not being the plan because it's not infrequent that that's your plan and then it doesn't happen. So my water broke, um, I think like a week before my due date, which is unusual for first time moms, but that's what it happened to my mother too. And once your water breaks, there's a risk of infection. And so they really don't want you to go past 36 hours without having given birth. Um, so we had a, a clock ticking, you know, which isn't ideal when you're, especially when you're new. Because your my labor didn't start right away, and uh, then when it did start, it would be kind of stop and start. So I think it was um, I, think I had her maybe forty one hours after my water broke, but they let me go past the thirty six hours because my midwives were so experienced. Between them, I think they have like fifty years of experience birthing children, so they've seen a lot and know a lot, and they can tell when you know, they were monitoring me with temperature and what I was reporting, et cetera. And they had uh, antibiotics and they had fluids there, which I ended up asking for and getting fluids and they made such a difference. But at some point past 36, I don't know how many hours, she said to me, um, if this baby's not out in an hour, we're going to go to the hospital. And I remember crossing my sister in the hallway and saying, she said, if the baby's not out in an hour, we're going to go to the hospital. And I wasn't even really letting myself fathom what that could mean. I was just thinking, oh, it's going to be so uncomfortable in the car. It's going to be cold there. I think she and my partner were quietly freaking out in another room. Like, should we get a bag together? And then I saw my midwife, like, take out this whole tray and set up what you need for when a baby arrives and I was like, wow, it looks like she thinks this baby's going to be out in an hour. And then she's like, all right, Anne, this is what we're going to do. And I had one centimeter left to go and she manually dilated me, which is something she had never done before, but she had seen, um, there's a doctor that used to work. He's retired since a, a hospital here in Los Angeles. And they had seen him practice a lot. And as a doula, she had seen him. So many, many years ago, she had seen him do this in a situation and she knew it was an option to try and she did it. And it's what made it possible for me to have a home birth. So I was super grateful for her experience. Um, you know, it's really sweet being at home and laboring because there are moments where I would be in the room just kind of resting and laboring and Ignacio's my partner. He had made dinner and I could hear him and my sister and the midwife just having dinner and chatting. Between. It's very intimate. You know, it gives room for all these things to happen and time to unfold at its own, own pace. That's awesome. I, I actually did not know you had a home birth. That's so cool. Mm. Um, and what about the postpartum phase? Did you have any support around you or um, anything in particular that you felt was really useful to have in place? Um, well, my sister was there and she stayed, I forget how long she stayed, but she stayed for a little while. Uh, this might not be for everyone, but uh, I had made a, and frozen a lasagna and we had his entire family over that night. <laughs> it was great. So, I mean, I couldn't sit down because I had hemorrhoids the size of like fingerling potatoes. So it's like <laughs> uncomfortable in that way, but it was 
really nice to kind of have everybody over and see each other. Um, you know, I knew a lot about the first 40 days because we learn about that in our profession. So I, that was a priority for me. Um, and I remember my sister kind of telling on me to the midwives that I would like, was doing too much the first week. So it is hard when you're used to just getting up and I remember I like saw something that had fallen to the floor and was unfolded, just like that. You would just want to get up and fix it. So it's kind of hard to stay put initially when you're used to being active. And if you've had an easy pregnancy, um, so she was there for a week and people brought us food and came and visited. My mom came towards the end of the 40 days, um, and she came to help and did a lot of sewing, but I would maybe, if I were to do it again, schedule that a little differently because I also had to kind of take her around LA to get some of the supplies and things like that so she could get set up. And sometimes it was a little more than I was craving doing, but it's all fine. Yeah. Was What did you do for the hemorrhoids? Did they just kind of go away on their own or did you do any sort of treatment? Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is uh, maybe not orthodox, but I have lancets at the house because of what I do. And um, I had Ignacio lance them. Like we made sure they were very sterile and he put on a headlamp and he lanced them. My sister was in the background making terrible faces. I was like, you can be in here, but you can't make those faces <laughs> right now. <laughs> And a lot of fluid came out and it was so much better. Initially I was just icing them, um, but it, it wasn't doing much. I mean, it was, they were so large that I could stand in the mirror and look at myself from the front. I could see them. So. Um, you must've had but, a really long pushing phase then. I did not right? actually. Oh, My pushing phase was like 45 minutes. Did they My did midwife was like, oh, I knew you'd be a good pusher. I'm like, I don't know how they know that, but okay. That was. <laughs> that was easy and fast. Once I got there, I just was not dilating for whatever reason. Did you, did the hemorrhoids develop during pregnancy or that was something that came during? Uh, I had, I think I had some small ones or a small one. Yeah. So maybe that was part of it when I, before, like heading into labor. So yeah, but they, when they saw the hemorrhoid at, because you know, the midwives also do your postpartum care and they do a very thorough postpartum care, which is really nice. That reminds me, I had a friend who's a postpartum doula and she also brought me food and she wrapped me and things like that. Um, they approved of the Lansing job. So. <laughs> That's good. I mean, yeah, yeah. If, you're, if you're a healthcare provider and there's some kind of toolkit mm -hmm. tool in, your, in your toolkit that you can use, why not? Mm -hmm. um, what was the wrapping that your, your friend did? Was it like a belly thing or... Yeah, it was, I forget which tradition she was doing it in, but it's a long piece of cloth and it's this wrapping by, I mean, I think many cultures do this. Um, and so she wrapped and, and bounds me, just kind of keep everything tidy and tied in. Yeah. Yeah. To it feels very soothing. Go back to size probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, was there anything else, like, did you have any tearing or any other thing that you needed to kind of navigate after or not in particular? Um, I had, I didn't have the urge to urinate. And so 
right after having her, I, I would stand up and then urine would just fall out of me. And so then I knew that I, I just had to go frequently because I couldn't tell when I had to go. So if I went frequently, that was fine. And then slowly that returned over, I mean, I think probably within a month it was back to normal. Yeah, so it was just kind of like time needing mm -hmm. to go to your pelvic floor. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, had, I had a similar experience that, um, yeah, that it did kind of just go back together on its own. But yeah, those mm -hmm. early phases, it's, it's hard to know kind of what's going on. Mm -hmm. The sensations are just really different. Yeah, I remember asking them the wives, like, you know, how long will this take? And they were like, we don't know. <laughs> it's a very honest answer. Yeah, can't, we can't tell you. <laughs> it's such a practice in yeah. kind of being present with what is and not being yeah. attached to what's going to happen and where it's going to go mm -hmm. when. Um, oh, and then my sister's wife is a chiropractor, so they're very clued into um, what certain types of chiropractic can do postpartum. And she took me to a woman who's very skilled here in in Pasadena, Dr. Colleen, and she treated both our daughter, Frances, and me. And it was really amazing to watch um, the baby get treated because it's so gentle. You know, she works with a glove and just has her do sucking motions while she's kind of gently massaging her scalp. And the, the babies lean into it. They, they really tap in and work with it. Was she being treated for anything in particular or? No, just kind of a well baby visit, but it can help a lot with if there's problems latching or things like that, which she latched immediately, no problem. So yeah, that was actually what I was going to ask about next was breastfeeding. If that was something that you did, it sounds like you did. Um, mm -hmm. And anything that you want to talk about around that, like things that surprised you or any issue I was surprised by how much I did not like pumping and I remember talking to a friend about it and she's like yeah sometimes I just want to throw the pump against the wall mm. it's a uh, you know there's no obvious reason why it should be so unenjoyable but I just found it to be a real hassle fortunately I didn't have to pump right away I took about five months off before I went back to school um but then you kind of have to find room in between classes to pump or, you know, come home at night and pump for the day before. And it's just never something that I wanted to do, even though breastfeeding was easy and enjoyable for some reason, when it's like a little battery operated machine going, uh, 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 it's not, it's not the same. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean the, it makes me feel like a cow or something just like milking myself. It's like so beautiful to watch your little baby suckling, but to see this machine is just like, not, yeah, yeah. not so beautiful. Um, so yeah, maybe you can talk now about, um, what the transition into motherhood was like for you. If there was anything that surprised you or things specifically that changed about your approach to, life or anything, um, especially because you had a year left of school. Mm -hmm. um, you can talk about like how it was different from, you know, the beginning of school, not having a child to then, you know, near the end, having a, a child to navigate and mm -hmm. like childcare worked and all that. Well, I remember very naively because people would be like, I, I can't believe you're in school and you have a little baby. And I would naively say like, 
oh, you know, it's really not that big a deal. Don't let anyone tell you that it's so much harder. But we were talking a little bit about this before going live. When they first come out, they're little blobs and <laughs> you can just lay them down and they stay there. And so it's much different than having like a one-year-old or two-year-old or, you know, a child that's moving around and is interacting and, you know, also needs more verbal interaction from you. Um, so I think that was in a lot of ways, a lucky ideal period to finish the program in her first year. Um, and what did we do? We had babysitters. Both of our schedules are not nine to five. And so for us, it was best to just hire people for the times we needed some when one of us couldn't cover for the other. Um, we have grandparents nearby, which is very lucky. And she started spending the night, I don't remember, maybe not that first year, but pretty young, she's been spending the night and likes to go there and spend the night and they like to have her. So that's been a real gift too. It's the kind of gift that you kind of don't even realize how lucky it is. And because when you don't, we haven't not had it, but we just babysat for two friends of ours who have a four-year-old and a almost two-year-old. And it was the first night that they had alone all night long and woke up the next morning without the kids being there. So yeah, that's, that put it in perspective for us. Yeah. I can't even imagine what that would be like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. But I mean, it's also like, you figure it out no matter what you have. With what of course. Have. Yeah. Um, so, and then what about after graduation and then now going into building your practice? And mm -hmm. I, mean, I know firsthand, of course, everything that goes into building a practice from scratch. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe you can talk about like how, what that's looked like for you. Um, I mean, I'm, you're still using babysitters. No, uh, when she was two, we enrolled her in daycare around the corner and she's still there now. She's there right now and she's going to be starting preschool in the fall. Um, and so that is more of a, like a kind of like every weekday situation, or at least it was up until the pandemic started. Um, and then we would supplement with babysitters. But, you know, I work one weekend day and then two weekdays. And I only work in the mornings because that's my preference. Um, so the childcare part hasn't been too complicated until, until the pandemic. And then we, you know, had a period where we had to kind of refigure it out all again. And now it's normalized again, but that's a little bit of a special situation. Yeah. I think it was for a lot of parents. Yeah. Um, so what did you do? Did the daycare shut down or? No, they stayed open. And, um, and the women that run it have, I was so concerned for them in the beginning because they're older and I know they have pre-existing health conditions. They've been completely fine. They're still here and still running it. Um, but no, we just took her out because we weren't both working. I, I was working with a break here and there but we just took her out because we didn't need to have her there. And it seemed like an unnecessary risk to them more, I think, than to her and also an unnecessary cost. Um, and then when work started picking up again, we realized that all the sitters we had before weren't available or didn't live here anymore. So then we kind of had to get new sitters and yeah. How do you find Nothing that? too crazy. How do you find uh, 
have I found one? Well, I just found one in the park yesterday at <laughs> at an engagement party. A, a young woman with very sparkly eyeshadow really hit it off with Frankie. She would not leave her alone, but she seemed to be enjoying it equally. So I was like, would you ever babysit? And can I get your number? And so she said she would. Um, but otherwise it's been care.com or, or, or something like that, or sometimes asking other people who they use and could I get their number? Um, uh, one time, one woman we found because we asked uh, the caretaker of her daughter's great grandmother if she knew anybody and she knew someone, so. Yeah, so some like seeking it out and some word of mouth type stuff. Sometimes it's been friends, and I'm thinking about it, and those are just, you know, friends in transitional periods who she is already close to. Just yeah. pay them to come when we're not here. Yeah. yeah. And so what about anything else you, you would like to share about motherhood um, and your experience of it so far? Just like if anything has changed for you and maybe not for you because it was kind of a role that you always knew that you were going to step into. Um, but yeah, if there's anything that you can think of in particular that you want to share about, and if not, that's okay too. Yeah. I'm just trying to think if there's, um, I mean, I think I remember being at like summer parties in upstate New York and seeing moms with young children kind of having to go spend a lot of time with them on the side hanging out and I'm like ah oh, looks like a drag like <laughs> you know and now that's us and it's not the drag that I thought it would be and also maybe we just don't totally parent that way like I said our daughter just like found these two new friends yesterday so um but I think there is something of stepping into kind of there's a there's a period at least when they're younger where you go into the background more and I haven't minded that I I've actually enjoyed it um it doesn't feel like a loss of identity for me because I still have my practice and I still have all these other things that I do and love and um but it's kind of like when you see um you know, like a big plant grow up and then the leaves start to age and like the little ones coming up, like, you know, I'm receding into the background ever so slightly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's also part of this, the purpose of this podcast is um, talking to mothers about how they maintain their identity and their connection to their passions and whatever projects and you know, whatever lights them up in addition to also being a mom, because I've, I've felt that a lot too, of just kind of like, you know, her being my whole world and every decision I make, um, you know, certainly she's a factor and mm -hmm. yeah, even like going back to work or pursuing these things, there's just always so it's like every decision seems like somebody's going to think you're a bad mom <laughs> or whatever. Oh, don't even pay attention to those people. I mean, there's such, there's so many ways to parent too. And, you know, we're at an age where a lot of our friends have kids. And so you see up close the wide 
range and it's kind of just what works for you. Like we're definitely on the more loosey goosey side of, you know, like we weren't very strict schedulers or, you know, nap time is this time. We I've always felt like don't never wake a sleeping kid. Now I think we've woken her from sleeping like this past year a couple of times because we've arrived somewhere, but, and it seems fine now to do that. But, um, I think you just find your way. You just find what, what works for you. And it's, it's not necessarily what works for, you know, your best friend. Yeah, I, I think that's, I mean, that's definitely how I feel, just leaving space for all women to make the decision or the family to make the decisions about how, what works best for their family. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, something else? else that, something else that we came to a little, I saw their parents doing this and we were a little late to it. And then when we did it, we're like, why did we do this sooner? Sort of halfway through the pandemic, we, we scheduled who was on duty. So, you know, you get this day in the morning and I have this afternoon and, and that really helped us a lot to just be able to plan our own free time and also formally tap out or tag out. Um, and, you know, sometimes we'd have to be like, well, actually I have this thing, can we trade or, or I'm going to be a little later and, you know, we were flexible with it, but it helped us a lot. Did you, in the beginning when she was younger, did you kind of feel like a lot of it felt like, I've heard people call it the default parent, like a lot of times that will be the, the woman, um, that just in my experience and the people that I've, I'm surrounded by that the, it's like, you know, unless I ask, I'm going to be the one that's changing the diapers, feeding her, waking up with her, mm -hmm. et cetera, mm -hmm. her to bed. Yeah. Um, oh, I feel like I'm, I feel like we're pretty good about sharing the duties, but there is this thing where you're the you're breastfeeding and you're just more comforting. So in the beginning, like our friend joked about Ignacio being mom's hairy helper, you know, in the it like it's just this like guy in the background that comes around. So I think in the beginning she preferred mom for a lot of things. And I mean, then when she was older and verbal, sometimes that was, you know, she was even be like a little bit rude and it didn't take, took like just one Google search to see that's totally normal and like ways to figure that out. And it shifts over time. So there is a degree of being a default parent, but I think it's just the nature of the role. And, and it didn't feel like in our case, it didn't feel like a lack of willingness to share the labor. Maybe I'm misremembering it all. Who knows? That's that's how I remember. Yeah, it now. no, I've <laughs> definitely heard. I, yeah, I've just heard that from other women that have older children. Um, that yeah, these beginning phases, it is kind of just like because you're breastfeeding really is it's yeah like a comfort. Um, yeah, your source of food, like so many things that um, that leaves that can leave men feeling kind of like they can't really do anything. Um, but it sounds like for you that that shifted as she's gotten older and you're you're more able to kind of be more equal. Yeah, I'd say it's more equal. I think I still, she still prefers to have me for bedtime. And so part of 
my learning curve is just to not go in there when she's crying for mom because after a very short period it stops it like seems longer than I would like but she can fall asleep with dad just fine and it helps if mom doesn't come in when dad's trying to have her fall asleep with him yeah that's a really really good point Mm -hmm. so um if there's anything that you want to share about your business and how people can find you um, either your website or if you have if you have social media platforms that you prefer or you're on more frequently. Mm-hmm. Well, I practice in Atwater Village. Um, I treat a lot of women. Um, I do a lot of women's health, gynecology, fertility, and then also chronic illness, oncology support, which from a Western medical standpoint, maybe sound like they're completely opposite, but you know this in Chinese medicine, we're never really looking at the name of the disease, but more like the underlying pattern that could cause problems in any of those areas. Um, and my website's annclearyacupuncture.com and I'm on Instagram, anncleary.lac. And I do acupuncture and I have a single herb granular pharmacy primarily Chinese medicine, although I've been experimenting a little bit more lately with some Western uh, Chinese herbs. I've been experimenting a little bit more lately with Western herbs. Cool. Great. So yeah, if you happen to live in the Los Angeles area, um, and then maybe do you do any telemedicine stuff? I do. I do herbal consults with telemedicine, but I, I prefer the in-person visits, because I do a lot of, um, especially for the herbal diagnoses, uh, or when I'm treating herbally, I do a lot of abdominal palpation, um, and that helps inform my decisions. So I do treat, I do treat virtually, but prefer in person. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was so great uh, reconnecting with you today. Yeah, it's great that you're doing this. I think it, I mean, it's kind of like Ina May's book in that you're just gathering women's stories. And I think it's very useful for other women who are in this transitional phase, just hear what it's like and that there's no one one story or one way. It's just kind of eye-opening. Like there's not this secret fix. You just figure it out but it's useful to hear other women that have gone before you totally and that book spiritual midwifery I've brought it up a few times already on the podcast I'm um, sure it is a life changer to learn about physiological birth and that it doesn't have to be like what you see on tv that there's like this emergency and like all this crazy like breathing that doesn't make any sense to me and that it can be just a natural process um So yeah, I mean, I want to highlight a variety of experiences, including hospital birth for sure. Um, But yeah, just for to for women to see that it doesn't have to be this this one way that the media kind of highlights. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thank you again for being here today. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you'll be notified of future episodes. 
And if you feel so called, please give us a rating and a review so other people can find the podcast more easily. Thanks again. Till next time. Thank you.